listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Michael Anthony Garcia, to Latin Experts, the Latino Studies at UT podcast. And it is my privilege to host you today, just so that we can check in with each other and talk. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. This pandemic has really sort of made it so that we don't see each other as we used to in social spaces around Austin and so forth, but also so that the wider public of Latino studies at UT and those who listen to our podcast can also learn about what you do as an artist, as a curator, as, you know, a man of many hats. (laughs) If this was uh, being videotaped, you would all see that Michael's wearing a very snazzy hat, always (laughs) making a fashion statement. You can follow Michael Anthony Garcia on Instagram. It will be available on the show notes just so you can see for yourself uh, what I mean by always making a a fashion statement. (laughs) But let's start with the conversation. Why don't we start a little bit about what you do in Austin in addition to being, I think, one of the key figures in Latinx art in town. You're also a curator you also have a podcast yourself. I do. So you're a podcaster. You have a, a magazine called Poca Madre mm-hmm. with the POC in big letters. Oh, in capital, <laughs> yeah. In capital letters uh, <laughs> to <usefulness>. highlight the <laughs> POC and the intersectionality mm-hmm. of the themes that you talk about in that podcast. Yeah, there's lots of crossover between those things. First, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate this. I'm not one who loves to talk about themselves, but, (laughs) you know, this being part of the profession, I would say, at this point. So, Mm -hmm. but no, it's really good to see you and to get to share uh, about my work. So, thank you for that. So I have uh, a studio practice that is based around sculpture, installation, uh, performance, uh, a lot of performance in the past several years as well as delving into more video. And this year in particular, I've rediscovered my love for writing, uh, poetry specifically, which was going to be my uh, major in undergrad. I was going to, I I went there. I just didn't get the kind of reception from the faculty that I guess they shouldn't really get where this little brown kid was coming from. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't understand why he was trying to write science fiction and poetry. So I kind of dissuaded me. Uh, but then I found, you know, art, which is also like a, a huge passion of mine. My practice is kind of all over the place. I don't know what that says about me <laughs> and my personality, mm-hmm. but I love doing that. Like you mentioned, I also do independent curation with projects that I take on here and there. I've curated exhibitions at Mexicarte Museum, at Texas State University, in their galleries. I just had one at the Austin Public Central Library Gallery, which is a beautiful space. If anyone's never been there, you should check it out. And then I have an upcoming project that I'm working on with Fusebox. I just love that idea of working with other artists as well 
getting to connect with them and create a community. I think of exhibitions in that way, really. Mm-hmm. It's like creating a community and mm-hmm. having these conversations. And then you mentioned the podcast, Poca Madre. I'm sorry, <laughs> El, Puente. El Puente. And then the magazine is Poca Madre. Mm-hmm. And those two I work on with two of my best friends in the whole world. We just discuss intersectional conversation topics all over the map. Music, politics, you name it. <laughs> and we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a delight for me coming to know you here in Austin since my arrival. I know that we've also, for a short moment, overlapped on the board of Outsider Fest. So that's how I think in a way that we also got to know each other. I also think of our overlapping interest and our love for Mexico City as another location that brings us together, another Mm -hmm. point of reference that brings us together. And we've crossed paths there in different art spaces or events and so forth. And I also think about that aspect of community that you mentioned, right? So seeing you be very active and be very much a supporter and also someone that facilitates that world-making, right? That world-making that the art that you believe in, just bringing it forward and saying, hey, we're here and we're doing this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And we're here supporting each other. And that's one of the things that I find really lovely about the the, the work that you do and, and your placidness within the larger Austin and perhaps central Texas art scene, right? I, I, I see you as, as someone that is able to be conversant with not just the, the pressing issues at hand through your podcast, El Puente, through the work that you highlight in, you know, the art magazine and the the stuff that you curate, but also you, just your presence in Austin and being there to support your art making friends, right? Mm-hmm. I respect and have a, a deep appreciation for that work because it's a lot. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I should also say that you're also doing an MFA. Yes, <laughs> you I went am. back to school after quite a few years, yes. and then you're teaching. Actually, no, I'm a literacy specialist at an elementary school. Yeah, right. Yeah. I thought that you were an art teacher. Thank you for correcting me in in my head. Yeah. So, here, (laughs) yet another talent that you have that I did not know in terms of the work that you do within the Austin Independent School District. If I had a hat, I would tip it off (laughs) because you do a lot. So, I actually do have a question. (laughs) I have lots of praise, but also a question. In terms of your own art practice, how do the different media that you move through from performance to video, photography, installation, sculpture, how are they conversant with each other? How do you move through them in the kind of work that you put out, in the kinds of messages you want to put forth, right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and perhaps use an example or two to highlight that? Sure. Well, I've said this before about my practice. I feel like the different aspects of my studio practice for me like I relate it most to being bilingual and that there's sometimes there you can't say something in English the same way you could in Spanish like there's that there's not either not that phrase or doesn't have the same kind of connotation to it and so I feel like I navigate those things similarly I've and I can't think of any examples of this but like where I've tried to start exploring an idea with a certain media and then it didn't quite translate. And so then I 
tried it with something else. I, I wish I had something on the tip of my tongue, but I, I don't. There's actually one piece that I'm going to be working on in the spring that's kind of like this, where I was just going to make this straight-up video where I'm going to be editing the final seconds in the old 70s TV show Wonder Woman during the, the closing credits where it was like, you know, that very kind of cheesy 70s uh, feel where like they turn to the camera and they smile and it freezes and then the credits play over their face. Oh, I love it. And everyone, like Linda Carter, always had like this amazing, beautiful, perfect smile. And there was something about that just that spoke to me. Um, it just had, I mean, just Wonder Woman in general has like this queer energy about her. Anyway, mm-hmm. I just wanted to make this straight up video of just collaging all of those mm-hmm. smiles at the end. It was like a subliminal video. But then it just didn't have quite the impact, so I'm going to actually be incorporating that into a performance now, which might be, because of COVID and everything, might be a video in itself. Mm-hmm. So it'll be like a video of a performance with a video in it, if that makes sense, like a projection. It'll have that video projected onto me. I see. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to mm-hmm. figure out. So I see them like different languages mm-hmm. where you can definitely say the same thing, but mm-hmm. this has different weight. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did that answer the question at all? Yeah, okay. no, <laughs> I'm just pausing because I'm imagining that and actually getting excited, right, for the way that you're bringing in not just popular culture, but also an iconic figure that is often overlooked as Linda Carter is, as a Latina, yeah. often gets overlooked, but also that queer energy that you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. She has a, a huge queer following. So I got excited and I got, is this what you're doing for Fusebox? Or? No, no, this, no. So this is something I'll be working on just uh, during my MFA program. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a, a spring project I'll be working on in the studio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And what is your Fusebox participation? You... So that's going to be a curatorial project. Okay. Can you say something about that or yeah, is that, that a little bit under wraps uh, um, I, th- I think it's okay just kind of going to give the vague idea. They're just trying to bring in more of a visual art component this year to go along with the performative things that they have in the festival. It's a performance festival, mostly. Mm-hmm. They've asked me to come in and do a curatorial project with different art spaces in town and then to have a presence at the festival hub as well. So excited for that. For those of you that do not know, Fusebox is a festival that happens in Austin, has been happening for over 10 years now, and usually happens around the month of April. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when it's happening in 2022. As you said, mostly a performance festival. It's free and it happens all over town. And I think that in terms of what you're going to be doing there and also the work of Fusebox makes me think of another question that I had for you. Just because earlier I had mentioned that you are there. I don't go to as many art openings as you do because sometimes I'm traveling or my day job prohibits (laughs) me from doing so. But when I do, I see you in those spaces. I see you in these different galleries, different museum, at openings or other kinds of events in these spaces. Can you talk a little bit about Austin and art spaces and performance spaces from your perspective, what is your take and your analysis of where we are now? Yeah, I mean, it's still a relatively small art community here compared to other cities, but it's very tight-knit and it's a very strong community, I would say. Like, the work that's produced here is, it does not receive the attention it should. 
either statewide or even nationally or internationally. We have some major superstars that live here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just think overall it doesn't have the same kind of reputation that I think it deserves. There's still few spaces, especially now during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We've lost even more. But it's fairly welcoming. But just like Austin, it, just, it has that same kind of... that. Austin feel transfers into the art community as well. Mm-hmm. As far as like, it's very, I don't want to say Southern, but the whole idea of that Southern charm and hospitality, people are very open. It doesn't have the same kind of competitive feel that a lot of other cities do from what I've seen. People are always out to help each other. So there's that. I will say when I moved here in 2001, it was a lot harder. And the scene was a lot smaller as well. So there were fewer opportunities. So that was there were more people trying to get in. But I think that's what fueled what I do now is like there were not that many opportunities. So I decided to create my own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just become part of, I don't know. I think it's a very like, that's a very Mexican thing. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> like I could see my parents doing that. Like, okay, something's not happening. So we're going to have to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that uh, about you and that spirit in you in in terms of what you facilitate for for many of us. I think I also feel that in terms of the Austin artistic performance community, how it's welcomed me as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to do a little bit of existing outside of what's considered the ivory tower, right? (laughs) I actually do it also intentionally and try to work across and beyond but yeah, I, I sense that as well. So can you take us a little bit back and tell us what brought you to Austin in 2001? And also, where were you before? Sure. I'll go back a little bit further to lead into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went to undergrad at Austin College in Sherman, Texas. And it's a little tiny liberal arts school, about 1,200 students maybe. Mm-hmm. It's about an hour north of Dallas. And when I finished... All my family had relocated to the Houston area, but I wasn't quite ready. I still felt like I kind of enjoyed that freedom. And so the only city that I really knew was Dallas, which is like an hour away. So I lived there for about three years. And, it, you know, there's great art scene and, and things like that. There, but just the, the energy wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And then around, yeah, 2001, end of 2000, I had a, a major breakup with like, this uh, relationship that had gone off and on for like eight, nine years at that point. And I don't know, I was just like, I needed a break. I was like, I need a clean break, mm-hmm. just go somewhere else. And a friend had moved here and I came to visit her and it was just like, oh my gosh, this vibe, mm-hmm. especially early 2000s Austin was like, it has a certain chill energy to it. So I just kind of ended up here that way, just recovering from a breakup and here I am almost 21 years later, and it's like, whoa, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> right, because so much of, of the work that you've done is very much centered or situated here, right? Mm-hmm. Not that it speaks to an Austin experience, yeah. but it's work that you have created and, and put out there in these last 21 years. Yeah. Definitely in the time that I've known you, I've mm-hmm. seen that work. But I think your work in general doesn't have that specificity that has clear references to anything that has to do with Austin or with Texas or even like a Mexican or Latinx identity. Mm -hmm. But yet all of those things are there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you want to or can talk a little bit about how being 
from Texas, whatever that means to yeah. you, if it informs your work or is that, are you trying to abstract yourself from that? Uh, not intentionally. I will say that, I mean, I've always felt like that alien that was just kind of dropped in the middle of somewhere in all kinds of communities. I don't feel like I fit in here or there, even though I, I do. You know, I grew up in El Paso and lived there up until I went away to undergrad. And the culture is obviously very much part of who I am. But I, I was always kind of weirdo, too. And so I think that kind of adds a, a little bit of a twist to how I view and express myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I do speak to, like, to these topics. My work's a lot about identity and identity politics but maybe it's the materiality that I choose that I, I, I don't know I, th- I think I've always just been conscious in the back of my mind of not being too obvious with the materials I use or being too trite in the way I, I, I speak to those topics mm-hmm. so I, I think maybe that's somewhere in the back of my head <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean one of the things that comes to my mind in terms of my knowledge of your work is that there is a question of color. Mm -hmm. I think color figures very strongly in your work, but I would say also in terms of sort of material in a literal way, there's something earlier mentioned here that I'm always in awe of how you carry yourself in terms of your fashions and you're making a fashion (laughs) statement. So I think material is also really a key element Mm -hmm. in your work that I see, right? So it's about colors, but it's also about textures and materiality in fabric, in yarn, and these kinds of things. If I were to imagine or think of some pieces that I've seen, either performance, photography, or sculptures, that's what comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Color, fabric. Yes. And um, yeah. And in some ways, in my head, I relate it to a Mexicanist or to a Latinx identity, yet it's not like directly referencing anything at the exactly. same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, if anything, I would say, there's, for me at least, it seemed like an, an obvious um, element of rascochismo in, in, in the aesthetic of it. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I feel like sometimes that kind of pushes some people away who don't really get that aesthetic. For like us, it's culturally just, it's it's a norm, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. the ingenuity of it. But I don't like try to be too symbolic with things like color and things like that. But the materiality, I think it's, it is important in what I do. Clothing in particular is something I use very much in my work because it is a kind of an abstract way to reference the human form. Mm-hmm. I've often said that clothing is nothing but like a fossil of who we are. And so um, my sculptural work, especially if I'm using clothing, it's being able to be figurative, but in an abstract way. In terms of using it in my performances, patterns and, and textures like that, they'll be hints at other topics that, that I'm speaking to in the work. Like one piece that comes to mind is a performance I did in Houston, I want to say it was like 2018 for the a performance Biennale there. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. Creative, no, not creative action. Um, oh my gosh. Okay, it'll it's come to the, me. It's, I think it's in the bio. Yeah, okay, so. thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh, my brain is mm-hmm. fine. A COVID brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in that one, I was addressing this idea of 
trying to have forgiveness and pra- the practice of forgiveness as you would do with yoga or, or Pilates or whatever. It's something that you do to get better at. And finding forgiveness for racist things that have been said to me over the years mm-hmm. or that I've ex- experienced on other people's behalf. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, as I was making this piece, it was like this red form and it was subconscious in a way. I wasn't specifically going or trying to reference anything in particular. But then I had these white gloves. Mm-hmm. And then in, in that instance, the materiality of them was the fact that this kind of clean palette to work with. And I was putting them on uh, the hands of people in the audience. And then we were using them to caress each other's faces and pick up our oils and whatnot. And then taking those and pinning them to myself Mm -hmm. as a way of taking on this idea of forgiveness. And in that, I'm not directly referencing anything religious, but in a way, it is an offshoot of like what you would think of peregrinos, like crawling Mm -hmm. up a mountain on their knees Mm -hmm. to an altar or things like that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's an abstraction of some of those things. So Mm -hmm. so I I think they're there. They're just not as as obvious as... Mm-hmm. to others maybe <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that I love about your work it pulls me in because I, I feel like I identify with but I also feel that it allows me or gives me the space for me to create my own references but also not stay with the obviousness of it all and it, it opens up the possibility of thinking about it in a different way so thank you for that We'll pause real quick and just mention rascuachismo uh, or the aesthetics of rascuachismo that you mentioned for our listeners that might not know <laughs> what rascuachismo or a rascuachi aesthetic might be. But it's like the working class resourcefulness of using everyday material and repurposing it for daily needs, like using a can from uh chile sauce and repurposing it as a planter right Mm. so that's like everyday kind of working class mexican aesthetic is transferred into the art world and the art making of many mexican and chicana chicanex artists right that has been theorized by tomas ibarra frausto um and others after him. I just wanted to pause that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I can't help being an educator, an opportunity to teach the kids. But they also probably are already well-versed in this. Uh, but I just wanted to, to, to yeah, pause no, that. Thank you. But I think the one final question would be, if you feel like it, to talk to us a little bit about what it's been like to go back to school, to go back to art school and do an MFA, and is there something that you want to do with this degree? Sorry to ask you in that way. This is not a job interview. But are you going to utilize that in a way? Or is it about being able to just create art and having the support of an institution to do so? Yeah. Uh, so I originally had put it off for many, many, many years. I got my undergrad in 1996, so a big stretch of time in between and for the longest time I thought I would just never do it um, I'm not sure really why I, mean, I have the reasons that I would say out loud but I don't know if those are the real reasons but yeah I don't know I just got to the point where I really wanted to have these conversations that I've been having in my head about my practice with other people who were also experiencing the same thing and that's exactly what I've gotten out of it it has been 
just incredible. Like I said, this the reawakening of the writer in me. That was just that would have never happened if I hadn't gone back. Yeah, so it, so it is about mm-hmm. g- going back and fortifying what I've done, asking questions about the things I'm not sure about, and then exploring new things too. So there's definitely that's a huge part of it. And if that's all I ever get out of this degree, I'm more than worth it, even mm-hmm. though it's been crazy working full time and going to school. <laughs> but I'm always open to anything in life, really. So like my teaching job right now, I mean, I have six more years till I can retire. But if something were to come across my path and it was perfect, I, I would go for that as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to say it's like a safety net or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely been an, an important experience in my life and in my practice for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not looking back at all with any kind of regret. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> and to also think that you have been doing that during a pandemic is <laughs> just yeah. adds to, yeah. yeah. Well, it actually saved me because I was accepted at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing their low residency program. Mm-hmm. So I got accepted in, I want to say, January, February. And then the pandemic hit, was it like March? Yeah, right? when It was Mar- mid-March, mid-March of 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so that first summer especially, I was offered my teaching gig. I live alone. So this, it gave me a focus, something to like put all my energy and attention to. Otherwise, I would have lost my mind. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still did a little bit, but <laughs> no, but it was amazing. I went into it, of course, like anybody does, especially oftentimes less people of color, like will have this mm-hmm. imposter syndrome starting something like that. And it's mm-hmm. like, you got to overcome that and just push through and be like, you know what? No, I have every mm-hmm. right to be here as anybody else, if not more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but mm-hmm. it's been amazing. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, that's great because I think of your work and your practice as already being so solid that it mm-hmm. in of itself deserves several MFAs. <laughs> and here you are doing it to have the sort of concrete validation of the institutions that we live in, right? Yeah, yeah. So hopefully it sounds like it's already done what perhaps even more than what you set out but hopefully yeah. it would yield other things as well. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing program because it is centered around social justice mm-hmm. and is intentionally trying to put BIPOC and women and women identifying artists at the forefront of who we're studying. Everything is super intentional and all the readings, everything we do. At this point, I can't imagine doing another program, you know, because mm-hmm. I think that's also something else I've gotten out of it. It's really solidified who I am in the world, in addition to an artist. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So I think that we're at time. Obviously, we can continue talking more. I know that the opportunities for us to see each other, whether it's in art spaces or we also used to run into each other a lot at rallies and protests in town. Right, that was another (laughs) meeting location for us. And then also travel in, into Mexico City. So, but we will have the opportunities to continue our conversation. And I hope that everyone gets into Michael Anthony Garcia's art and actually goes out and 
witnesses for themselves and perhaps also partake in your knowledge, your wisdom, and your beauty. Oh, right? thank you. You're so sweet. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> so we'll end it there. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, y'all. This is Ashley Navamonteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page. Follow us at Latino Studies UT to keep the conversation going.